We hope you're blessed and encouraged by the following study from Calvary Chapel, Elmani. It's our simple prayer that you would grow stronger and deeper in an intimate and personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Should you have any questions, please feel free to contact us here at Calvary Chapel, Elmani. First John chapter 3. I notice what you read in verse 16. It says, By this we know love, because he laid down his life for us. And we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Whatever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. As we travel through this amazing, life-changing epistle, um, John is always like challenging us, like, you know, um, are you sure you're a Christian? Examine your life. And if you are a Christian, these are the things that should be characteristic of you as a Christian. Uh, a lot of us here know John 3.16, but I think it'd be good to know 1 John 3.16 because it's such an awesome verse. And it tells us, by this we know love because he laid down his life for us. Learners and lovers and friends and philosophers throughout the ages have failed in their attempts not only to refine but even define what true love really is. How can we know love? How can we show love? Well, that's so cool. John gives us the answer. By this we know love because he, Jesus, laid down his life for us. When you think of love, I pray that immediately you would think of Jesus. I pray that immediately, not only would we think of Jesus, but we would think of his sacrificial suffering on that cross. One guy said, Jesus' path to the cross marks the selfless, self-giving way of life to which his followers are called. You know, here we see that this is how we know love. The Greek word is the word gnosko, and it's the word experience. And this is how we've experienced love by Jesus dying on the cross for us, by us giving our life to him, by us submitting our, our hearts to him, turning from our sins and trusting in Jesus. Now you and I, we live in this atmosphere of agape love. By this we've experienced the unchanging, unconditional, unending, never, ever, ever, ever fluctuating love that God has for us. And you know, when I was reading this verse right here, I was just thinking about how that's hard for me sometimes. It's hard for us, I think, to receive love. And if it's hard for us to receive love, it's going to be even harder for us to give love. But it's harder to receive love. You know, if someone comes and loves on you, you almost feel uncomfortable. You know, because I think primarily of the fact that you're not used to it, or a lot of times because of the fact that you just don't feel worthy. You know, and it's like, man... How can God love me? I mean, after what I did today or after what I did yesterday, you mean to tell me that his love is, is still there? You mean to tell me that his love has never changed? I mean, I, you know, and we, we live on that type of, you know, performance-oriented relationship. Sometimes we're that way with people, and we think that's the way God is with us, and that's the one, the one person who's not like that. And the reason we know that is because of the Bible the reason we know that is because of the cross of Jesus Christ. At the cross, Jesus laid down his life for us. And it not only shows us love, 
it shows us the greatest love of all. Because Jesus said in John chapter 15, verse 13, greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. See, the greatest love of all is that selfless, sacrificial, unconditional love for friends and foes that Jesus demonstrated on the cross of Calvary. You know, I remember when I was uh, a young, younger, I don't know how old I was, um, I used to like this song by Whitney Houston. It's called The Greatest Love of All. You know, and then Whitney Houston's a very talented singer, and uh, I hope she's in heaven. I'm not sure. But I do know that she had this song called The Greatest Love of All. You guys remember that song? Some of you that are older? Beautiful song as far as, like, the lyrics. And I remember just thinking of the title, The Greatest Love of All. And I would just tell Shelly, hey, this is our song, babe, you know, and uh, the greatest love of all. Until <laughs> finally one day I listened to the words, and I found out that what she sings in that song is the greatest love of all is learning to love yourself, loving yourself. And I thought, wow, Whitney didn't read the Bible, huh? Either that or whoever wrote the song didn't understand it. We have our self-worth. Don't get me wrong. We're worthy because of the fact that God loves us. But the greatest love of all, please, is not loving yourself. As a matter of fact, the greatest love of all is denying yourself. Isn't that weird how the world just takes things and completely turns it around? Isaiah 5.20, they call evil good and good evil. It's just the antithesis of what God says in his word. Warren Wiersbe said self-preservation is the first law of physical life while self-sacrifice is the first law of spiritual life. See, when you're talking about the love of God, you're talking about an unconditional, self-sacrificial love that puts their needs above your own. You're going to find one thing about love is that it is a, is, a, is, a, is a mode in which we meet another's need. You know, for you and I, we needed salvation. Because when we sinned, we were born in sin, we separated ourselves from God. And the greatest need that we had was the need of reconciliation with God, the need of the forgiveness of our sins. And the only way that could happen was God sent his son to die on a cross for us. That sacrifice in which he paid the penalty that you and I could not pay, that sacrifice was motivated and demonstrated the love that God has for us. You know, they say that love is like the wind. Okay, it's invisible, but you can see the effects of it. Like, you can look at me, and you might not know whether or not I love you. I can look at you, and maybe you have love present in your heart. I can't really see it if it's there, but your life will then show it. I'll see the effects of it, and that's the way it is with God. He loves us, and it's so cool to know that. You know, it's the greatest love. We read in John 15, verse 13, greater love has no one than this, and then he laid down one's life for his friends. And not just friends, but we read in Romans 5, 8, that God demonstrates his own unique love towards us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And so before you were a Christian, God loved you. Before you were ever born or conceived or thought of in your mother's womb, God already loved you. While you were his enemy, God loved you. Now that you're his child, don't you know he still loves you? Don't you know that? And that love right there, it needs to be received, even though it's very difficult. I mean, I hate it when I sin. But when I do, I still got to know that God loves me because that will really capture me. That will 
that'll it'll free me, his unconditional love, and that'll help me then to emulate that towards others. You see, the love that's not a die, lie is a love that's willing to die for friends or foes, for winners or sinners. And this is what God has done for us. This is who God is. We read in 1 John chapter 4, verse 8 and 16, that God is love. When you look at this, verse 16, by this we know love, because he laid down his life for us. You know, it's cool. It's, it's just an information. It's a, it's a truth statement. But it's not just information or contemplation or observation. This truth is then supposed to move us to transformation. It's supposed to be application, because he says right there, and we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. You know, Jesus said in John 15, verse 12, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. And then he said, Greater love has no one than this, and to lay down one's life for his friends. You know, and so God is just saying, Listen, this is the type of love that you need to have as well. It's a love that we're willing to die for your friends. That's the greatest love of all. You know, and when we have that love, and I wonder, would you die for your friend? Would you go and would you take a bullet for them? Would you protect them? You know, we, we wonder about that. You know, maybe like someone like William Tyndale who gave up his life. People in the ministry. Sometimes I see a lot of ladies like this. They, they lay down their lives. They love their husbands. And it's so cool when you see it. Man, it's just amazing. They, they give their life for their husband. A lot of moms. A lot of moms. You know, and especially the old school moms, man. They give their life for their children. It's that love that lays down their life. Hopefully more husbands will begin to catch that vision of what God commands us to do as husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. See, that's the nature of love, to give your life. To give your life. And sometimes we see that in relationships. We see that sometimes in, when it's truly a calling upon someone's life, they give their life and sometimes the ministry. I think of someone like William Tyndale who translated the Bible for us to read into English. You know, and for him, you know, it, it, was a, it was a difficult time. The Roman church was against him. They eventually betrayed him. One of his close friends turned him into the church. He was in, year, in prison for a year and a half until finally the day came because he wouldn't recant. They hung him. He died. He gave his life for his friends. Now, for most of us here, we probably won't be called to do that, although sometimes I wish I could. I mean... I know this is probably my pride, but I would think, Lord, I would love to die as a martyr. I would love to, you know, but God's probably saying, you know what, you're not worthy. But I tell you what, man, to lay down our life and to die for the gospel of Jesus Christ or to die for my friend, oh, man, what a way to go, huh? For most of us here, it's probably not going to be that extreme. In one sense, this type of love or that element of love is like the most you can do. But when there's true love, there's something you can do. And when there's true love, we're going to see this is the least you can do. Because look what he says next in, in verse 17. But whoever has this world's goods and sees his brothers in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? Oh, my little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. Again, the opportunity to sacrifice one's life for another may not arise 
But here it is, material possessions, food and clothing, which help sustain life, if that's there and your love is real, then you're going to meet their need and have pity on them. Again, I like what we see in verse 16. William McDonald suggests the most we can do for our brethren, and in verse 17, the least we can do for them. Don't get me wrong. This doesn't you know, justify indiscriminate giving or disobedient giving to everyone because sometimes that's not right. The bottom line is for us as Christians, it's, it's harder because we must be able to discern the will of God in the different challenges and situations that we have in front of us. And what I'm saying, and I think what God is saying, is that when there's an individual there with a genuine need, that there must be, if there's love, an obedient, active response to meet those needs. I mean, that's the least he can do. He says right there, again, notice, whoever has this world's goods. The, the Greek word for goods is the word bio, bios. We get our word biology, and it means life, and it means that which is sustained in life, which life is sustained, the resources, the wealth that we can use in order to help others to live. You know, for us as Christians, I think we face these challenges, even here in America, and as our economy continues to change. You know, I don't know what the Lord's going to do, but I do know that we we got to be ready. You know, it's funny, when I was reading this verse, um, you know, Henry came in and he told me about a phone call that we received from an individual whose brother was murdered in Mexico. And so he said the brother was asking if there's any way we could help him get down there with some gas money because he didn't have it. And I thought, as I'm reading this, I'm like, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we can help, you know, because here we see that's exactly what Christians do. You know, over in James chapter 2, uh, we see the same thing. <coughs> Validating our faith. He says in James 2, verse 14, What is it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that kind of faith save him? If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, Depart in peace, be warmed and filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body, what is it profit? And, and imagine that, and I think we do that a lot of times, where we see a genuine need. We see a genuine need, you know, and it might not be food, it might not be clothing, it's something else, it's some type of genuine need that's urgent, that's pressing, and the Holy Spirit himself is pressing it upon your heart. But what do we often do as Christians? We just pray for them. Oh, bro, let me pray for you, man. And, 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 and it's almost like God is saying, give me a break. Are you serious? You have the goods that are necessary to help. You have whatever it might be, the time, but maybe it doesn't fit into your nice, tidy, little schedule that you have, you have created for yourself. Because, you know, you know, I don't do that. That's not my ministry. Why not? You see, when there's love, what ends up happening is God begins to show you needs, and the Holy Spirit begins to press it on your heart, and, you know, God says this is, a, you know, like the least that you can do. This is really a large part of what it is to be a Christian. How many of you here, before you were Christians, you used to steal? I'm just joking. I won't ask you. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 4. 
things are changed now and it says let him who stole still no longer but let him work with his hands that he may be able to give to those who are in need i love that you know we don't we don't steal any any longer as a matter of fact we don't take from people now as christians we give to people and isn't it cool when the lord puts you on your feet he gives you a job not that you can get a bigger, better, faster, whatever it is that you want, but so that now you're put in a place where you can actually help people. Lord is saying, that's what Christian love is. This is the least that you can do, and it's important for us to remember that. It may include personal service and the giving of oneself to others in different ways. There are many individuals in our churches today, even here today, I would imagine, who have needs and who lack love and would welcome someone to come in and make a difference in their life. You know, I read a story about a young mother who admitted in her testimony meeting that she was really struggling to find time for her personal devotions. She had several little children to care for, and the hours, she said, just seemed to melt away. And so imagine her surprise when one day two of the ladies from the church came and they knocked at the door and they said, you go and you spend time with the Lord and we'll watch your children. After several days of this kind of help, the young mother was unable to get back on track and serving the Lord with her heart. You see, guys, our love for God is demonstrated by living it, not by preaching or teaching, not by singing or winging it, not just in talk or tongue, not just in spoken word or heard, but it must be demonstrated. Right here we talk about, he says in verse 18, My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. To love in word only is to love impractically. To love in tongue only is to love insincerely. And of course they're definitely connected. You know, I was talking to my daughter, and I think that we probably all, especially guys, especially dads, and especially with our daughters, you know, we, we tell them, hey, just because, you know, that guy says he loves you, it doesn't mean that he really loves you. You know, and we can establish relationships nowadays, not just with boys and girls, but just different relationships now with social media. And it can be on Facebook, it could be online, it could be all those text messaging and things like that. And, you know, we can actually think, well, someone really loves me. But they've never really shown it. They've said it, but they've never really shown it. And see, that's what God is saying is that I've shown it. I, I love you. I died for you on a cross. And, you know, what God is saying is that now I just want you to go out and, of course, I wish you would love me back and love others. And, man, it's so cool what ends up happening, you know. I'm sure you've heard it said many times, you know, you've heard that illustration of you fill a cup, you know, to the brim, whatever it might be. It could be soda. It could be Dr. Pepper, you know, root beer, water, you know, lemonade. And you hit that cup. What comes out? Well, whatever's in there. Well, I really believe that when the love of God comes in and it just floods our heart, and we let it come in, we receive it. Even as, let's get over the fact that we're not, we're not worthy. Let's get over the fact that I'm not going to have a perfect day. I mean, I want to and I try to, but I'm not. Let's get beyond that because I know that's where a lot of times I struggle. And it just, it just jacks everything up. You know, but 
when I just let the love of God, unconditional, unchanging, never-ending, just flood my life, then it fills my life. And then when I get hit, then the love comes out. Because the love's come in. You know, but if there's bitterness and anger and fear and resentment and unforgiveness inside of me, and that's my cup, then when I get hit, what's going to come out? All those things. And so it's really cool when you fill your heart with the word of God, the love of God, the truths of God. Are you going to get hit? Oh, man, all the time, right? But we have to have this heart. And this love will always manifest itself, whether it be the greatest thing. One day we read about you in the newspaper, you gave your life for your friend, or the smallest thing that no one ever sees but God. Those acts of charity. You know, it's interesting. If you have uh, the King James Version, in 1 Corinthians 13, the chapter on love, what is the, the word love translated in 1 Corinthians 13, Old King James? You guys know? Charity, huh? Charity. Charity, love. It's an awesome thing. And so he says in verse 19, And by this we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. For if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and knows all things. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence toward God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. Again, John, he, I like the way that he's so repetitive. I like the way that he um, really, you know, says the same thing, but kind of in a different way for us to just really have the basics of what it is to be a believer. Right here in verse 19, by this we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. How? A life of obedience. A life of obedience is the greatest assurance. Uh, the transformed life, you know, proves that you're saved now. And so when you have that assurance, when you have that life, not perfect but proper, it's so cool that you have that peace. But we read in verse 20, if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and knows all things. Now, so what's that all about? You know, what does that mean? Does your heart ever condemn you? You know, in Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9, it says that our heart is deceitful. Our heart is deceitful. And it's amazing to me how our hearts will tell us we're right sometimes with God when really we're wrong. But at the same time, our hearts will tell us sometimes that we're wrong with God when in all reality, we're right. Let me ask you a question. Have you given your life to Jesus Christ? Have you surrendered your life to him truly, totally? I'm not talking about coming to church. I'm not talking about a religion. But have you turned from your sins and in the deepest recesses of your heart trusted in Christ as your Lord and Savior? If you have, then you are a believer, a blood-bought, bonafide, washed believer. And that is right there an important thing for you to know because there might be those times where, you know, you're not feeling it. And of course, we always have to search our hearts, but man, that, the feelings, that's not where we go. We, we go by faith. We walk by faith, 2 Corinthians 5, verse 7. And so what we find, you guys, is that the Lord is sharing with us that 
as believers, we have the promises of his word that say, if you've given me your life, then I've washed away your sins. And, you know, when the devil comes in and sometimes he tries to bring condemnation, then you can just stand on the promise of God. Um, how many of you here on, were here on Thursday? Wasn't that awesome? A really cool uh, Pottersfield ministry came out and they, they gave us a visual illustration and a brother, really, really cool guy um, just forming this lump of clay. And as he's forming it, probably one of my favorite parts as far as the visual elements go was when he took the red, which was supposed to be symbolic of the blood of Jesus. And you guys remember that? And he just covered it in the blood. Oh, man, that was such a cool visual. And for us, in looking at that, what we find is that's exactly what's happened to us, that we are covered in the blood of Jesus Christ. And as we see, that's funny, as we see <laughs> this truth, man, it's amazing to me how God just says, hey, Manny, you know, I want you to know that it's not based on your performance. You know, sometimes I'll talk to my friends and they're involved in different religion, and they'll say, how can you know for sure you're a Christian? I mean, isn't that arrogant? I mean, you know for sure that you're going to heaven when you die? And I just say, yes, I know. I know for sure. And it's, the reason being is because it's not based on my performance. It's based on the cross. It's based on me simply trusting in Jesus. I've done that, and I know I've done that. And as a result of that, we have that assurance. We have that confidence. And so what ends up happening is when we begin to just, and all these things, they just kind of build upon each other. We talked about agape love, agape love in action. You know, we've talked about how, as Christians, you know, we have this ability to have the assurance of salvation when we're living in the agape love in action, you know. But then he goes on, and they just build upon each other. These are things that I think Christians should really know. In verse 22, and whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and we do those things that are pleasing in his sight. Whatever we ask, imagine that, you know, ah, Lord, give me a Hummer, and he gives you a Hummer, right? Is that the way it works? No. You know, that would be dumb, really, to ask for a Hummer nowadays, right? I mean, forgive me if you have a Hummer, I don't mean any offense by that. But, you know, when you, when you fall in love with the Lord, you realize, you know what, I don't need all those things. I don't. As a matter of fact, haven't you guys learned now in your life that all those possessions are possessing you? Have you learned that? I mean, having a house is cool. Don't get me wrong. I, you know, I thank God that we have a house. But it was a little easier when I had an apartment, to be honest with you. Because when something got broke, what happened? Got on the phone, hey, can you take care of it? Now as a house, you're like, oh, man, i got to fix it. you got to do all these things. Uh, and that's just an illustration of how, you know, and then we add this, and then we add that, and then we've got TVs in every room and computers and gadgets and all this kind of stuff. And what ends up happening is, man, you know, we don't need all that. All I know is that what we do need is a prayer life. A prayer life is so important. How is your prayer life? Imagine having a prayer life that, that was like this. Imagine having a prayer life that was so powerful that whatever you asked God for, that he gave to you. Imagine that. You know, for us as Christians, I think we start moving towards that place when our hearts are right. Of course, we balance it with 1 John chapter 5. Look what it says in verse 14. 
Now this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And so it has to be within the sphere of God's will. But I think what ends up happening, you guys, is that when we get in right relationship with the Lord, that he even gives us desires. He puts those desires within you. He does. And then what ends up happening is you start praying and things start changing. I think for a lot of Christians, I would say that the prayer life is extremely anemic, extremely weak. Because number one, we're praying things that are vague. We don't even, you know, like, how can you know if God ever answers that prayer because it's just so vague? But then as the Lord puts things on your heart, you begin to get specific. Not only that, you know, it's hard for some to even pray and then some aren't living the life because there is a link to being obedient, answered prayers. There is a link there. We see that. But when, man, things begin to fall into place, your heart is inclined to God. You're living not perfect but proper, and you're believing and you're asking God to do things in your life. It's amazing to me how it changes everything. But I remember, and it's kind of funny how we have the guys uh, selling the, the, the bake sale out there, uh, the wrestlers. Because uh, they heard that Calvary Chapel on Monday liked to eat, and so they came here. No, I'm just joking. Um, I used to wrestle in high school, and I remember, you know, how tough that was. And in the book of Genesis, we have a story of Jacob wrestling with God. Wrestling with God. And you're like, why would Jacob be wrestling with God? What's that all about? Well, you know what it is, right? It's a picture of prayer. It's a picture of prayer. Now, I wrestled, and when we wrestle, we wrestle for six minutes. After six minutes, after two minutes, you know, you're just so tired, you're exhausted. It's not an easy thing. Imagine wrestling all night long. And you're not wrestling, you know, the wimpy kid, man. You're wrestling God. Imagine that, doing that all night. And then at the end of the, the, the night, you know, the, the sun starts rising. You know, God's kind of trying to get away now. And Jacob is just holding on to his foot. And he says, I won't let you go until you bless me. I won't let you go. See, that's the type of prayer life that we should have. There should be power in our prayer life. There should be, you know, goals and targets and bullseyes and desires that are divine that God has put there. And when that happens, it's so amazing. He says, and then when you begin to pray, he says, and whatever you ask, you're going to receive. And that's a really changed life. You know, I don't think that a lot of us here have that heart. I think what happens, though, is a clear conscience to give us boldness to God before God. You know, we know that in James chapter 4, verse 2, the Bible says that sometimes you don't have because you don't ask. So there are some of you here today who just, you know, either you're not even praying. You're not even praying. How sad is that? But then there are some of us here that when we do pray, we're not, we're not asking. We're not asking for the right things. You know, one of the uh, things that I'm not good at, but I've kind of learned more and more and do you guys ever go to a store and just out of the blue, not that you read the sign or, or the, the advertisement or whatever, but do you guys ever go and ask for a discount? Did you know you can do that? I was like, no way, you can't do that. 
It's all bottom line. Next thing you know, my wife says, hey, can we get a discount on this? Sure, we'll knock off 10%. And I'm like, whoa, how'd you do that? She's all I asked. <laughs> there are so many things that God wants to bless you and your family with. But the problem is you just have not asked. You know, this is an important part of our life as Christians. To know the love that God has for us. To then extend that love out to others, whether it be dying for them or giving them some food. You know, to know that as we begin to live a life of love, that there's assurance. I know I'm a Christian, and it's such a beautiful place to be to know. To know that if you were to die today, you'd go to heaven. I mean, imagine that. The day's going to come if the Lord tarries, man. I may come and visit you in the hospital, or you might come and visit me at the hospital. And I know for sure God can heal you, and God can heal me if he wants to. But what if it's not time? And there you are at death's door. There I am at death's door. We're going to be there one day. Should the Lord tarry? And just imagine just knowing, you know what? No problem. Man, I'm excited that I'm going to heaven. There's that assurance. Isn't that beautiful to live with that peace? And then as you're just living that simple life of obedience and simple faith in God, then you begin to just, man, a powerful prayer life. God answers prayers. God does things. And we realize how it works according to his will. We need to ask. And here he says, the reason we can ask is because we keep his commandments. You know, we need to obey. Psalm 66, 18, it says, If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear. But you continue to read on. He says, But certainly God has heard me. He has attended to the voice of my prayer. Blessed be God who has not turned away my prayer, nor his mercy from me. John chapter 9, verse 31, it says, Now we know that God does not hear sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, he hears him. What are you praying for? You're praying for your kids. You're praying for a job. You're praying for someone to be healed. You're praying for that person to be saved. You're praying for whatever it is. What are you praying for? Do you want God to answer that prayer? Oh, yes, I want God to answer that prayer. Then the Lord is saying, then walk in holiness. And it is so cool. The power of God is then unleashed. Jesus said in John 14, verse 12, Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also and greater works than these he will do, because I go to my Father. And whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Now, for some Christians, they have scratched those verses out of their Bibles. They just don't, they don't have that faith to believe that God really answers prayers. But it's so cool, because <laughs> others, they believe. And God works in their hearts. Jesus said in John 15, 7, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. According to his will, we're asking. We're asking by faith, and we're asking with a life that has been inclined towards obedience. Because one thing I know, one thing I know, in this situation that I'm in, only God can change it. Only God can change me. See? And things begin to work out. I mean, the other day, there's a family. They come. They get kicked out. They got nowhere to go. 
We start to pray. Next thing you know, boom, God provides a place for them. Unheard of price. It's because God is doing a marvelous work in their life. And I see it, and I see the way that they are trying to follow the Lord. You know, last night, my wife was sick. She was pretty sick. Either that or she was milking it. One of the two. <laughs> but I think she was really sick. And so, you know, trying to take care of her, make her some soup, go to the store, get her the things that she asked for, you know, doing all these things, checking her forehead. And, you know, uh, and then finally, you know, after who knows how many hours into it, she finally says, Papa, can you pray for me? Can you anoint me with oil? And I had already, and I heard, the Lord had already told me, you should anoint her with oil and pray for her. But, you know, I, I didn't. But I did, right? The okay, oh, yeah, let's anoint her with oil. Three minutes later, she's healed. And it's gone. I mean, and it's not that I have the gift of healing, because sometimes I pray for people and they die. So that's not the way it works, right? It's not me. It's just that the Lord hears our prayers. I, was, I always challenge my kids when you're praying, hey, do, do you know who you're talking to? Do you believe that, you know, you're talking to God? You know, I love talking with my kids. I love it. You know, when they, were, when, they were, when they were little, in between, now they're older, still love it. I love it. I love I mean, I don't know what's better than that, you guys. I can't think of a whole lot of things that are better than me having a heart-to-heart -heart conversation with my child. And so if that's how we are, imagine how God is. We've got to pray. It's part of our relationship with the Lord. Prayer is beautiful because God hears our cries. In Psalm 34, 15, the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, the Bible says, and his ears are open to their cry. You see, when our kids cry, we know, right? We know, oh, why are you crying? Oh, because they want to be picked up. They want attention. Okay, I'm going to leave them alone, right? Why are they crying? They need to change their diapers. Okay, God hears your cry. Something needs to change. Why are they crying? Because they're hurt. Because they're hurt. God, they're hurt. They're hurt inside. They're broken inside. They fell down. They got a boo-boo. They're bleeding. Imagine you as a parent, your child is there, hurt, crying. Would you not run to them? See, that's the way it is with the Lord. The Bible says in Psalm 145, 18 and 19, The Lord is near to all who call upon Him. To all who call upon Him in truth, He will fulfill the desires of those who fear Him he also will hear their cry and save them. And so you read about all these celebrities. They say they pray. And as a matter of fact, they even give to charities. I read about one celebrity recently gave a million dollars to the work in New York. I wonder how we got that information. <laughs> but, you know, so does that make them a right-on Christian? No, because look what it says in verse 23. And this is his commandment, that we should believe on the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he gave us commandment. See, for us, it's so cool to know the gospel, that all we have to do is believe. Turn from our sins and trust in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. Believe in him, not just his name. William Barclay said, here we have that use of the word name, which is peculiar to the biblical writers. It doesn't simply... Uh, mean name by which a person is called it means the whole nature and the character and work of that person as far as it is known to us 
And that's the whole name and nature and person of Jesus Christ. The psalmist writes, our help is in the name of the Lord. And so they said, what should I do to be saved? Maybe you're here today. What should you do to be saved? Believe. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Turn from your sins. Be willing to let them go. That's all. God will clean you up. Don't wait until you got your life together. Don't wait until you, okay, now I just got one more addiction left, and once that's done, then I'll become a Christian. No, don't wait. It's like, you know, wanting to say, I'll take a shower before I take a shower. No, man. Come to God and let Him clean you up. Come just as you are. He loves you. We read about that already. He loves you. He did all the work for you. He died for you, all your sins. He paid the penalty that we were supposed to pay, that we could have never paid. He paid it for you. Now, you just kind of believe. Believe in Jesus. Being a Christian, and I know we make it a complicated and sophisticated, but it's not, that, it's not that way. Believe in Jesus. And then he says right here, here's another commandment. Love one another as he gave us commandment. That's it, you guys. And everything else falls into the category of those two things, right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. Everything else falls within that. First Thessalonians 4, 9 says, But concerning brotherly love, you have no need that I should write to you, for you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. First Peter 1, 22 says, Since you have purified your souls and obeying the truth through the Spirit, in sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart. And so we read in verse 24, Now he who keeps his commandments abides in him, and he in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the Spirit whom he has given us. You know, every relationship is two-way. Every relationship, so to speak, especially, you know, healthy relationships you know if you want a uh, you know relationship with someone you know you got to do your part they got to do their part and it's so cool when things come together for us he says we abide in him we abide in him and it's so cool the first time we read it in first john and he abides in us it's this relationship we have with god and so the holy spirit now lives in us think about that Okay, we started off with the amazing truth that God loves you unconditionally, sacrificially. Never, ever, 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 ever will his love for you change. Never. Love. And now we, we were live. God lives in us. I don't know about you, but when I see that as a Christian, how rich I am that God will live in me. I, I'm just blown away. I'm blessed. I have this assurance now. I know I'm a Christian. Why? Because the Holy Spirit lives in me. The Holy Spirit lives in you if you're a Christian. And so he's there. He's there telling you, hey, you're a Christian. Hey, you're a Christian. <laughs> and you know you're a Christian because you gave your life to Christ. And you know you're a Christian because you're different now. You've changed. And you have a peace. Death has lost its sting. You're a child of God. And it's such a beautiful thing that we see in that we have this assurance. And this time it's not just a promise in the Bible. It's a person in your heart. And that's what we read in Romans 8. 
It says, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of adoption again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And so it's so cool, Abba, Father, we're adopted. He's our, in the Aramaic, our, our daddy. I remember I had a friend and I used to pray and he always used to say, Daddy. And I thought, oh, it's a little weird, a little different, but it's definitely biblical, Daddy, Daddy. Because the Spirit lives in us and he allows us to say those things. You guys, so much here, you know, and I was trying to think of words to outline it and then I couldn't. You know, I, I, you know me, I'm weird. I like to think of, well, what's the connection here? And I was thinking, okay, agape, assurance, abiding, um, answers to prayers. But it just kind of broke down. And I just, I just figured, you know what, this time I'm just going to read through and pray that the Holy Spirit will take his word and really begin to just, you know, for all of us here, different areas of our life that we need to surrender to the Lord, especially receiving the love that he has for us. I'm going to sing a song to you real quick. No, I'm just joking. I won't do it. But here's a song we're real familiar with, huh? Jesus, Lord of heaven, I do not deserve the grace that you have given or the promise of your word. Lord, I stand in wonder of the sacrifice you made. With mercy beyond measure, my debt freely paid. And he goes on to say, your love is deeper than any ocean higher than the heavens reaches beyond the stars and the sky. And then he sings, Jesus, your love has no bounds. Jesus, your love has no bounds. And I was thinking, why is Phil Wickham singing that to Jesus? And it makes you want to listen to the song, huh? Why is he Jesus already knows that. Jesus already knows that. Well, it's because Phil Wickham needs to remind himself of the love that God has. And he writes a song, and every time he sings it, he reminds himself of this love that is so amazing, this love that is the only thing that can really, truly change us from the inside out. When God does a work, and it's such a beautiful thing. And so, Lord, we thank you for allowing us to study your word together, Lord, as we partake of communion today. Father, I pray that you would work in every heart here. And Lord, I pray if there are any here today who are not Christians, who don't know you, that, Lord, today would be the day of salvation. We hope you were encouraged by this study. If you have any questions, please call us at Calvary Chapel El Monte at air code 626-454-3414. Remember that Jesus loves you.